Thank you to Grant for leading us in our worship of God this morning. And if I could ask then that you would please turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25 verses 14 to 30. That is the portion that Grant read to us a little bit earlier. And and let's keep our Bibles open as we work our way through this last parable of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned earlier last week, we began uh, to bring our series in the parables of Jesus to an end. And I said last week that uh, we would be focusing over the course of two weeks on this theme of the great and awesome day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I hope you recall from last week that the whole theme of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 was to explain to us what to expect as we wait for the Lord's return. And, and then after giving some very specific teaching about the signs of the age and the signs of the end of this age and what we are to expect, Jesus then tells these two parables to help us understand how we are to prepare for his return. And so last time we considered the parable of the ten virgins, and and we learned from that parable that the Lord's return may occur at any moment, and, and so we should be waiting in expectation. But equally, it may well be delayed, and so we must be prepared to carry on doing what God has given us to do as his people until Jesus returns. Now, in the second parable of the talents, Jesus is teaching us very practically what it means to be prepared for his return. If the the Emphasis of the previous parable was about waiting in expectation for the Lord's return. This parable is about working until the Lord returns. What should our lives look like as the people of God as we wait in eager anticipation for Jesus to come back? Now, Again, I hope you recall from last time that Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he was drawing a a clear line of division between two groups of people inside the church, within the the professing people of God. And, And he showed us that within the visible gathered body of Christ... There are five wise bridesmaids who have the oil of the Holy Spirit of salvation in their lives who are ready to meet the bridegroom. And then there were five foolish uh, bridesmaids who seemed outwardly eager for the groom to arrive, but who were not really saved and thus not ready for the groom's arrival. Now, this idea of dividing within the boundaries of the local church, within the boundaries of the the gathered body of Christ, continues in this parable of the talents today, because Jesus will once again draw a very clear line of division between the true and the false Christians this morning. This is not a parable which divides those inside the church from those who are outside the church, but he's dividing within the professing body of Christ. And so the application of this message today is, is once again squarely focused on, on us as the Honey Ridge Baptist Church, examining ourselves today to see if we are ready to meet Jesus when he returns. And so let's consider this parable today under three headings. And in the first place, I want us to see the distributing 
of the talents in verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now, the first thing that we need to understand this morning is what a talent refers to. And, and we need to start off by disconnecting this word talent here in the parable from our English word talent, which normally refers to an ability or a skill to do something like dancing or playing music or doing sport. Now, in this context, a talent was a unit of measure and specifically a monetary unit, which Although there is some disagreement amongst some of the, the commentators and scholars as to its actual value, it is generally believed to be approximately worth about 20 years of wages for a laborer. And so the, the sums of money that we are speaking about here are very large. The one servant who receives five talents is being given an amount of money roughly in proportion to about a hundred years' worth of wages. The second servant is given an amount of 40 years' worth of wages, and, and even the servant who only receives one talent is still given this very large amount of money equivalent to 20 years' worth of earnings. And so we must not come to this parable thinking that the master had entrusted some small, meager amount to his servants. No, no, these are, are large sums of money being entrusted to each of his servants. Notice as well in verse 14 that the talents are given to these servants not to do with as they please, but they are entrusted to them. That means that they are, are given on loan to be looked after, to be cared for. And we, we're going to consider that aspect of this uh, in a little bit more detail in verse 16. But we also see that the talents are given to all the servants. Verse 14 says, he called in his servants and entrusted to them each a portion of his property or his wealth. And then we see as well that this distribution of the talents was given in proportion to each servant's ability. And so what Jesus is teaching us here is that he is this man who is going away on a long journey. The, the context is clear in the light of all that Jesus has been preparing his disciples for in, in chapter 24 and 25. He is going away on this long journey, a journey which will end at some point after which he will return. But in the meantime, he has entrusted to all of his servants his property here on earth. Now, this is an amazing truth to consider. We know that, that God is the God who created all things, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God is the one who commands the weather and, and the oceans and the mountains to obey him, and, and they listen. And yet we are told here that God has entrusted to the church his kingdom here on earth. And it is our work then to be faithful stewards of all that he has entrusted to us. 
I think this links us back to, to what we call the cultural mandate which God gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 in the Garden of, of Eden. In Genesis 1.28 we read, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air uh, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so we see that everything which pertains to God's kingdom here on earth is entrusted to us. God is the creator. We are his stewards. God is the owner. We are his servants. And he has entrusted to us this responsibility to rule and manage and cultivate and nurture everything which God has placed under our care. And all of this is for the benefit of the master. But we are also meant to understand here that God entrusts to us something of incredibly great value. And here we must not simply think in, in monetary terms, but rather we need to be thinking in kingdom terms, which certainly does include a, a monetary component as God has enabled each one of us to work and to earn but it is specifically meaning all the spiritual and, and all the physical gifts and, and opportunities and resources which God has entrusted to us as his servants. And so firstly, let's just think about this for a minute. We are entrusted with the very gospel itself. This is the most precious, the most valuable resource that any human being can ever be entrusted with. Remember back to the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl of great price. The gospel is the most valuable of all the treasures in God's kingdom. For by it, we possess the keys to reconciliation with God and eternal life itself. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, Paul says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the good news of the gospel which has been entrusted to us, not to just enjoy as a kind of a holy huddle that meets once a week on a Sunday, but no, to be ambassadors of this treasure, ambassadors of this message and its power to a lost and a dying world. This gospel needs to be Realized as well that this is not just the key into the kingdom of God, but this message of the gospel is, is a message which transforms every aspect of our lives as Christians in this world. The gospel transforms our marriages. The gospel transforms our families. The gospel transforms our attitude to work and careers, our responsibilities as citizens, our functioning as, as members of our community. The gospel changes everything. And so at an absolute base level, every one of us, Every single one of us who are Christians has been entrusted with this incredible, valuable treasure of the gospel, the most valuable of all the kingdom's treasures. 
we are not only entrusted with the gospel itself, but we are entrusted with everything else that we possess. Our time, our skills and, and abilities, our homes and our cars, our careers, our money, the very life and, and energy we have in our bodies, everything that you and I have comes to us from the good hand of God the Father and is entrusted, again this word entrusted to us, as part of the stewardship of his kingdom. It is to be used for the king and for the extension of his kingdom. Now what we see from, from the parable is that not everyone is allocated the same amount of these resources. Some are given more kingdom resources. Some are given more in terms of kingdom opportunities. And it's not all alike because we are told it has been given to each individual according to that person's abilities. And so that then begs the next question. Where do the abilities that we have come from? Well, they too come from God himself, as is clear in Scripture, that God gives to every human being, but particularly to every single Christian, their unique abilities and skills to achieve in this life what he wants them to accomplish. And so God is the one who gives to each individual person the natural skills and abilities and, and the personalities that we possess. And then in proportion to those skills and abilities, he then entrusts us with a measured out portion of time and resources and opportunities to grow and benefit the kingdom of God until Jesus returns. And so, perhaps you've been given the ability by God to play a musical instrument. You've been given the ability to work with, with numbers and, and finances. You have the ability to, to cultivate the land and to grow crops. You, you have the ability to manage a business enterprise. You have the ability to teach children. You have the personality to, to make friends easily and to stand up and speak publicly or the strength and the skill to, to labor with your hands or whatever it may be to even care for the weak and the vulnerable. Whatever ability you possess, it has been given to you by God. Now, in proportion to those unique skills and abilities and, and personality traits that God has given to you, in proportion to that, in alignment with that, God has then also allocated you the resources of the kingdom. First and foremost, as I've said, the gospel, which we all need to believe and embrace for ourselves and then pass on to others. But in addition to that, in, a, in proportion to, to the abilities and skills that God has given us, he, he lavishly gives us everything else that we need as stewards. He gives us time, he gives us money, he gives us assets and opportunities and health and intellect. And we are entrusted with all of these things to work and to cultivate and to grow and to nurture his kingdom until Jesus returns. So abilities plus resources 
plus opportunity equals kingdom growth. That's, that's this formula of the kingdom that we see at play here in this parable. And so that then is the first point. We, we are all the recipients of God's kingdom abilities and God's kingdom resources, which he has entrusted to every single one of us who is part of the church of Jesus Christ. From the least to the greatest, every one of us has been entrusted with these these God-given skills and abilities and God-given resources and God-given opportunities to maximize the return on investment for the kingdom of God. So let's move on then in the second place to see the stewarding of these talents in verses 16 to 18. Verse 16 says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So although we see that there are three servants in the parable, there are really only two groups here. The two are divided according to stewardship and not in accordance to the distribution of the talents. You see, the first two servants, the one with five talents and the one with two talents, we see that they immediately go out from the presence of the master and they begin to put the talents to work. And they both double their master's initial allocation. The third servant, however, goes and he digs a hole in the ground and he buries his master's money. Two of them were were active and industrious, both in terms of time and resources. We see that they went out immediately. They they did not sit back and, and admire their allocation from God or ponder how they could spend most of it on themselves. No, we are told that they took what God had given them and they immediately went and they maximized the time and the resources allocated to them. Their, their goal was clearly to generate the most benefit for the master and his estate. But the other, the the third servant, he did nothing. He just took what was entrusted to him and he put it out of sight. He, He buried it in the ground. And then what did he do? Well, he just carried on with his own life. He was not interested in the master. He was not interested in the resources that were given to him, nor the opportunities, nor the time available until the master returned. He simply went and, and used his previously given God given abilities and talents, and he used them to serve himself and his own ends, doing nothing for the master. He was not going to waste his time and his energy in working for the master. And so verse 16 to 18 are not really about who earned the most or comparing uh, various strategies for investment. Now these verses here are about stewardship and, and putting to work that which God has entrusted to us. Now let's move on and see in the third place the accounting of the talents in verses 19 to 30. We see in verse 19 that after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, once again here, we are reminded of, 
of this aspect of Christ's return being one of delay. We saw that last week. The master is, is gone for a long time, but then he returns. And when he returns, he does so with a, a clear purpose of calling his servants to give an account, to give an account of the stewardship of all that he had entrusted to them. And so we can clearly learn here that, that Christ's delay in coming back has a purpose to it, which we learn from this parable has got something to do with the maximizing of his kingdom. Peter explains to us that Jesus' delay in coming is, is to give people the opportunity to repent and to turn to him for salvation, 2 Peter 3 verse 9. Jesus himself told us on various occasions that he had many sheep that had not yet been brought into the fold and, and they needed to be found. He said that the fields are white unto harvest and so he was sending out laborers into the field as fishers of men. He's preparing a kingdom. He said, I'm going away to, to prepare a home with many rooms and, and that home must be filled with, with all those whom the Father has given to the Son. And so he sends us out then in Matthew 28 with, with all the authority of God himself to go into all the four corners of the earth and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the kingdom of God and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded us. And so you and I today, we are living in the time of Christ's delay, not so that we can delay in responding to salvation, not so that we can delay in being obedient to his commands, but in actual fact, the exact opposite, so that we can immediately repent and, and turn to him and so that we can immediately go out and, and be faithful stewards of all that he has entrusted to us, maximizing the time of his delay, maximizing the purpose for his delay, which is namely that of kingdom growth. Haven't you often wondered why Jesus doesn't just call us straight up to heaven as soon as we are saved? Wouldn't that be wonderful? If, if heaven is such an amazing place, and if Jesus loves us as much as he does, why doesn't he just call us home as we come out of the waters of baptism? Can you imagine that? Just kind of leaving the waters of baptism and you just keep going up, up, up into heaven. Well, why does he leave us here on earth to suffer so often the hurt and, and the hardships of this broken and sinful world? I think this parable gives us the answer. Because he has work for us to do before he returns. He has saved you. He saved me for a purpose, which is to serve him in his kingdom here on earth. And so he entrusts to us these many great blessings to be worked for the extension and the expansion of his kingdom. But there is a day of reckoning coming which awaits every single person when Jesus will return as the judge of the world and he will take an account of all that we have been entrusted with. And the outcome of that day, that audit, will determine our eternal destiny. And so let's consider next what, what the audit of the talents revealed. And we see two groups, the first being faithfulness and reward, verse 20 to 23. 
And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, these verses are absolutely wonderful to consider because what they reveal to us is that The day of reckoning, this day of of allocating the eternal rewards will not be based on our abilities in this life, but will be based on stewardship. Now, why is that such good news? Well, it means that we don't need to worry about comparing ourselves to other Christians and to feel that, that we have achieved less than other Christians because That is not what concerns Jesus. What concerns Jesus is faithful stewardship in proportion to our God-given abilities and resources and opportunities. Notice that the pronouncement of commendation, pronouncement of reward to the servant who had delivered 10 talents back to the master was identical to the servant who delivered four talents back to the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Jesus doesn't draw a distinction at all between those two servants. They both receive the same commendation and the same reward. They are both told, because you have been faithful with little, you will be given much. And so they are both welcomed into the joy, into the presence, into the reward of the Lord. Notice what the master calls them both. He says, good and faithful servants. And, and this is referring to their character and their service. Now, let's think about this for a moment because the Bible makes it clear that there is no one who is good. No, not one. No one is righteous. But, and yes, part of the treasure of the gospel, when the good news of the gospel has been entrusted to us and we believe it and we embrace it by faith, we become good in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. Our guilt is removed. We become new creations in Christ. And we are given his Holy Spirit who begins this work of transforming us day by day into the likeness of Christ. And so the first commendation is based on the servant's acceptance of the gospel of salvation. That's the the first treasure which they embraced for themselves, which is that which makes us good and pleasing in the sight of God. But the second aspect of the commendation is based on their service. He calls them faithful. In other words, they are are not being commended here for the amount that they produced 
with their allocated abilities and resources and opportunities. No, they are being commended for their faithfulness as stewards. They, they both did the most that they could do with all that God had given to them. And so as such, they both received an equal commendation of being called faithful. So let's think about this very practically this morning. Let me ask you this. In this next scenario, who would you consider is being more faithful? The evangelist who stands before a crowd of thousands of people preaching the gospel to the masses. That's number one. Number two, the Sunday school teacher who week by week teaches the gospel to a small class of three toddlers. Person number three, the mom who sits next to her child's bed reading the Bible and praying with her little one before she goes to sleep at night. Who is more faithful? The outcomes of those three activities may appear to be dramatically different, but who is more faithful? Well, according to this parable of Jesus, Jesus would commend each of those three as being equally faithful in his sight. The evangelist, the Sunday school teacher, the mom. Insofar as, as each of them is using their abilities and the resources and the opportunities given to them to be faithful stewards of all that has been entrusted to them. So we need to be very aware here of the sin and, and the trappings of, of pride at this point. To think, as we so often do, that, that we should be given bigger and better opportunities to serve Christ. Thinking that, that we deserve a, a bigger audience or a, a bigger platform for ministry or for our careers or, or to influence other people. When in reality, all that God is requiring is faithfulness to that which he has entrusted to us in this stage of our lives. It may well be that the young mom or the young dad who faithfully is teaching their little ones about Jesus will be entrusted at a later stage the responsibility of teaching a class of Sunday school children who at a later stage might be given the opportunity to preach the gospel to thousands. All that God is asking of you and asking of me is that we are faithful with that which he has allocated to us at this point in our lives. And so if Jesus came today, would you receive this commendation of being good and faithful? And would you receive this reward of eternal life and joy in the Lord? So this then leads me on to the other group on this day of this great audit, namely that of unfaithfulness and retribution in verse 24 to 30. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. 
I want you to see here that the issue with this third servant has got nothing to do with the value of his talent. The fact that it was only one, because we've, we've seen already that even the smallest talent allocated has incredible value. No, the issue here was one of unfaithfulness. We, we can only speculate this morning as to the, the reasons behind this man's actions, but, but in the end it boiled down to unfaithfulness. Perhaps he, he thought that he deserved much more than he was allocated, and so he did nothing out of spite for the master. Perhaps he, his pride got in the way, and, and he compared himself with the other two servants and what they were given, and so he did nothing out of self-pity. Or perhaps he was simply just a selfish man, not interested in spending any of his time or resources for the master's kingdom, for the master's benefit. Whatever the reasons, we are not told. But what we are told is that his real problem was one of unbelief and unfaithfulness. Notice that he is not called good and faithful as the others were. He is called wicked and lazy. In other words, he was wicked in contrast to being good because he never embraced the primary gift and resource entrusted to him, which is the gospel of our salvation. And so although he was outwardly part of the kingdom of God, part of the people of God, he never accepted personally the lordship of the master over his life. He never accepted the, the free gift of salvation. And so he was not able to do anything of value with that which was entrusted to him. He is wicked, not because he produced less than the others, but because he did not value the precious possession which the master had entrusted to him. And so this has a, a striking application for us again this morning. What do you have to do to inherit eternal disaster and condemnation in hell? What do you have to do to inherit eternal condemnation and disaster and destruction in hell? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This third chap didn't do anything specifically bad. He didn't squander his talent on, on wild living with, with prostitutes like the prodigal son. Look at what he did. He did nothing. And in doing nothing, he was effectively robbing the master of all that had been entrusted to him and all that should have been returned to the master one day. And so we see that there is no reward for this servant there is only retribution, the punishment of an angry God. Look at verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast that worthless servant. Look at the tragedy of those words. That worthless servant into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What incredibly sobering words for us to reflect on this morning. 
God, in His common grace, has given to all men abilities and and resources and opportunities to, to come to Him and believe in Him and to serve Him. But many do not, and they will be judged in accordance with what they have received and what they have squandered. But even more so, God, in His special grace, has given to those of us in the church a special measure, a special allocation of his revelation of abilities and and gifts and resources and, and opportunities to serve him. The fact that you are here today, that you are listening to this service, makes you, makes me as I preach this without excuse Because we are the recipients of the gospel, the good news of salvation. We've been given a a mind to understand what the Bible says and what is being preached. We've been given bodies and the health to, to serve God in his kingdom. We've been given voices to speak his truth into the lives of others. We've been given jobs. We've been given the financial resources to contribute towards the the kingdom of God and towards the needs of his people. We've been given homes to show friendship and fellowship and hospitality to, to others, to the lost and to the needy. And we've been given time, so much time to serve God in his kingdom. You and I are today without excuse. The question which we need to answer today is this. Am I ready to be audited? Not by SARS, not by one of the big five accounting firms. Are you ready to be audited by the righteous judge of the universe? Am I ready? Are you ready to give an account before Jesus Christ, regarding what he has entrusted to us. Have I firstly, have you firstly believed the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation, for yourself? Am I truly saved? Have I placed my trust in Jesus alone for my salvation? Or am I trusting in my religious upbringing and and my church membership and my baptism and my good works to get me into heaven one day? When I stand before this throne of God, before Jesus as the righteous judge, will I be declared good or wicked? And the answer to that question depends on what you have done with the gospel. Have you believed it? Have you embraced it? Or have you simply done nothing with it? Then secondly, what have you done with all the abilities and all the resources and all the opportunities which Jesus Christ has entrusted to you? And here we need to get very practical this morning. Each one of us individually before God. Every ability that you have, no matter how limited it may seem, has been given to you by God. Every resource that you have, no matter how limited it may be, has been given to you by God. Every opportunity, no matter how limited it may seem, has been given to you by God. And all of these things have been entrusted to you as a steward 
to work it, to develop it, to grow it for the benefit of the king and his kingdom. We must remember that Jesus is speaking to all of us in the church this morning. The the one talented guy who did nothing is not referring to some pagan unbeliever out there in the world. No, this is someone in the church. This is a guy who during COVID hasn't missed a single online service. He even attended a Zoom Bible study group on a weekly basis. This is a person who has been blessed with the gospel, with with abilities, with resources, with opportunities. And yet this person leaves every week taking what has been given to him and he goes and he buries it in the ground. He's not prepared to do anything with all that he has received. Simply lives for himself, lives for his own comforts until he comes back next week. I would go even further to say that there are some within Honey Ridge Baptist Church who have not just been given one talent, but perhaps two or even five. How do I know that? I know this because I've seen what you are able to achieve out there in the world. You're climbing that corporate ladder. Your portfolios are growing. Your race times are coming down. But as far as the kingdom of God is concerned, you are currently producing nothing in return. You've taken all the incredible resources that God has entrusted to you and you've used them only for your own benefit instead of for the benefit of God's kingdom. So God's judgment awaits all this morning who will stand one day before the risen Christ only to be making excuses for why we didn't do anything with the talents and the opportunities and the resources that God had given to us. God's word tells us that any excuse we think to offer up on that day will come up empty. But oh, how great, how great, how great is the reward that awaits those who are heralded on that day as good and faithful. Good because of Christ's salvation and faithful because of their loving service of the king and his kingdom. There are again only two options here before us today. Either you are wicked and lazy and will spend eternity in in outer darkness where we are told by Jesus himself that there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or you are good and faithful, welcomed into the eternal joy of the Lord. And are entrusted with an abundance for all eternity of continued service of the king. Let me challenge you with this. If you don't like the idea of serving King Jesus in this life, then the idea of heaven must be an absolutely horrible concept to you. Because heaven is a place of eternal service to the King of Kings. If you don't like the idea of serving Jesus in this life, in this church, in this community where he has placed us, then perhaps you are not yet saved. Now, perhaps just like the man who who buried his talent in the ground. Yes, King Jesus delays, but not forever. And so consider this morning all that he has entrusted to you, starting with the good news of the gospel. 
and ask yourself today, which kind of servant am I? Which kind of servant are you? Now, normally I would end here. But this does bring me to the end of our 28-part series, seven months in the parables of Jesus. And so I want to ask the liberty for just three or four more minutes this morning to reflect back over the last seven months of studying God's Word together in the parables. Back in January, when we started this series, I asked the question why Jesus spoke in parables. And and we saw in that very first introduction that Jesus was clear that his speaking in parables was intended to divide his hearers into one of two groups. And so I want to just read to you what I said back then. God's word is saying to us this morning that over the next few months, the preaching of the word of God, if done faithfully from this pulpit, will divide this congregation. There will be a kind of of spiritual church split taking place as those who love God and his truth will grow in the knowledge of God. They will grow and grow and receive more and more from God's bountiful hands. But those who choose to reject God's truth, even though you may come to church each week and and pretend to be saved, you will begin to be hardened. Your blindness to the things of God will increase, your spiritual hearing will be dulled, and your heart will become increasingly cold like a block of granite. The word of God in general, but particularly the parables of Jesus, is designed by God to give you what you desire. Some of you are going to grow tremendously, and that will be all God's doing, because Jesus has promised to give and to give and to give even more to those who love his truth. But some of you will become cold and hard And again, that will be the promised effect which God's word will accomplish through the parables of Jesus. God's word powerfully asserts that Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, will be at work amongst us every single week, either graciously blessing those who love the truth or judicially hardening those who reject his truth. There is no option to come here each week and remain unaffected. The truth of Jesus doesn't tolerate sitting on the fence. And so I challenged you back in January. Are you going to love the truth or love your unrighteousness? Are you going to love Christ or love yourself? Are you going to grow or are you going to die? The choice is yours. Well, as you look back then over the last seven months, what choice did you make? Can I plead with you to take stock of your spiritual health at the end of seven months in the parables? This is plenty time to highlight to you your spiritual trajectory Have you grown week by week, little by little, in the grace and the knowledge and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or have you increasingly, little by little, week by week, become cold and hardened to the word of God? If you have grown, praise God today for 
the blessings of his gospel treasure, which has been entrusted to you, which you have embraced. And I pray that you, like the first two servants, will be eager to to leave our time together today and to go out immediately and to put that which the Lord has entrusted to you to work in his kingdom. That you will be eager to serve him more and more as he has blessed you with all his blessings in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you must admit today that over the last seven months, your heart has increasingly grown cold. You have increasingly become hardened to Jesus. Your love for his word has been minimal. And yet your love for this world and your love for your own sin has increased. Can I plead with you on behalf of Jesus Christ today? Be reconciled to God. Don't delay any longer before the little light that you have is taken away. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning at the end of this message and at the end of this series. And as we look back over the past seven months, we, we pray that you would help us in this tremendous task of examining our own hearts before you. But as your word has shone into our hearts, as your word has been shining into our hearts each week over the past seven months, we pray, Lord God, that we would not be hiding who we are from you any longer. Lord, we know that you see right into the depths of our hearts, and although we may think that we can fool others, we know that we can never fool you. And so we ask, Lord, today that you would be at work, that your word would accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it out today and over the past months, that it would not return to you void, but would accomplish the purpose for which you intended it, that those who are your sheep would hear your voice and would cry out to you for salvation, that, that they would run to you for rescue, and that they would find themselves delighting to be in your presence, delighting to be busy about serving you and your kingdom for all eternity. But Lord, those who are still outside of your kingdom this morning, those who have drifted away, those who perhaps are still lost because they have never yet come to you for salvation. We pray today, Lord, that they would no longer remain hardened and stubborn in their rebellion against you, but that they would turn, that they would run to you today, that they would heed your call to be reconciled to God, and that they would find true joy and true salvation in you alone. Lord, I pray that every single person here at Honeyridge Baptist Church from the youngest to the oldest, would take to heart the truths of your word today and over this series, that not one of us would one day stand before you and would not hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we long to enter into the joy of the Lord. We long to enter into that eternal service of our master. And so help us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, to be faithful, faithful here on earth in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, in this church, to be those who are faithful servants 
of our Lord and Savior and Master Jesus Christ for his glory and for the extension of his kingdom. We pray these things. Amen.